Hello everyone, welcome back to the Compete Clarity podcast, the show that aims to make some sense of CI, bringing novices and newcomers the actionable advice they need to make an impact fast. Today, I'm joined by Patrick Wall. Pat is Head of Competitive Intelligence at Imperva, a leading provider in digital security and data protection services, and he has almost a decade of experience in various positions of the competitive intelligence flywheel including managerial positions in product marketing and a four-year tenure as a sales engineer. On today's show, we talk at length about making the most of your internal resources, going into detail on who to talk to, when and why, to uncover all the data that already exists within the business and how to assimilate and deliver the data you collect. Towards the end, you'll also learn why Pat thinks people should be excited, not concerned about the meteoric rise of AI. Please join me in welcoming Patrick Wall. All right, Pat Wall, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Uh, before we get started, what did your journey into CI look like? I know you've got plenty of experience in both product marketing and competitive intel going back uh, is it almost a decade now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, I have a really interesting intro into CI. I think a lot of us, we just fall into it. No one really like, is like, hey, I'm going out of college. I'm going to be a CI expert. We kind of fall into it. So originally I was a sales engineer um, doing data analytics and then I moved over to product marketing. I'm like, wow, these product marketing folks are pretty cool. But then the product marketing, when I was building out all these materials, I'm like, well, how are we helping sales win deals? How are we doing, like, what, what what's our analysis and lean better? And everyone's like, well, we kind of do that. Like, it's a little part of our job. And I'm like, well, I'm really good at that and I like it. So I'm going to make this my full-time job. So I kind of started doing that and I did that more in the product marketing to the point where it would just made sense to take that shift from just a product marketing individual to a competitive intelligence professional. And so that's where I've been. And it's been an amazing journey. Cool. I didn't know you were a sales engineer. How long were you a sales engineer for? I was a sales engineer for four years at uh, TIPCO uh, under their Spotfire division doing analytics. So it's really cool. I got to go on companies like JP Morgan and Pfizer and teach them how to use analytics uh, back in the day. It was really interesting. Oh, cool. Do you find that that's really helped like inform your, your CI roles today with the enablement stuff? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think uh, having a sales background and having a sales engineering background is key for two reasons. One, I've been in that, that their footsteps. So I understand how annoying it is sometimes when you go up against a competitor and you don't have the information you need, right? That's the most annoying thing, right? When they ask questions like, how do you compare it to competitor XYZ? And you're like, uh, I'll get back to you on that. That's the worst. And two, it's also... As a sales engineer, you know, I always call them like competitive ninjas. They love to win and they hate to lose. And so when they lose, they figure out what's happening and they want to know why they lost. And so they actually kind of dig into the competition. So having that SE background gives me a little credit to the SEs. So then we can start uh, using them as like competitive resources. That's interesting because that's actually something yeah. I'd like to make a bit of a theme of today's show is making the most of your internal resources when you're doing CI. So, so I guess to start, if you were to start a new position at a new company tomorrow and you wanted to get your hands on uh, the data already in the business, what groups would you speak to first? Would that literally be every corner of the business? So when I, whenever I start a new company, I always kind of look and say, who are my stakeholders, right? I try to find that out. And so a lot of companies, it's sales, right? They're, they're your stakeholders for competitive intelligence, but other companies, it's product. Some well, the company I'm at is product and sales. So what I really do is I try to define who my stakeholders are, and then I work within those stakeholders. So I go and I talk to sales, and I talk to sales um, 
I see actual account reps. I go and talk to directors, VPs, all the way up to the CRO to get a sense of what the, what's happening and what's missing and what they need. And then I also within the product marketing or uh, product marketing and product management or talk about okay when you're building these products, why are you building them? How how's the competition? And so I kind of take that information as well. And then another group that I always talk to is customer success and support. And a lot of times those are actually kind of left out by competitive intelligence. And the reason why I talk to them is they work with your best customers. And those are the customers that know about your product, love your product, and tell you what's so great about it. But they also work with some of your most challenging customers. And these are customers that push the product to its edge, are annoyed that because they came here, they love your product, but hey, this feature in competitor X was so much better. Why do I have to do this here? Or what's going on with this? Or, you know, I really like this. Can we add this? And so you get that insights. And so, you know, these are where customers are asking for as well. So when you, when you talk to sales, PM and CSM and support, it really gives you a holistic view of the organization. Um, and along with marketing too, because marketing is a big part too, because you want to actually learn how they're differentiating, what's their messaging and how they differentiate. So when you take all those areas and you kind of define that, that's where you can really get a baseline of, Hey, this is the needs that the organization wants. And here are the quick wins we can do to show value. And here's a long-term strategy. How long does that process typically take? Would that be like, um, the first part of the 30, 60, 90 kind of process? Would you be looking to get that, get those conversations done sort of within the first week or two? Oh no, it takes a long time. I mean, you know, competitive intelligence, I would say it takes a really long time. Right. And so I would say 30, 60, um, days is actually where you're doing it. Like when I come in, I'm, I come in, I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to build too much. I'm going to listen, right. I'm going to listen. I'm going to hear what's happening. I'm going to talk to people. I'm going to get an understanding. After 30, 60 days, I mean, you have a pretty good understanding of, Hey, this is where we need to go. And this is how we get there. And then that's when you start building out. What does that kind of look like? Is that one-to-one -one interviews mostly? Is it focus groups to get um, a lot of feedback at once? Um, it's a wide variety of things. So it's one to one. It's a lot of one-to-one -one interviews to having those conversations. It's also going to team meetings and being a fly on the wall and listening on what's, what people are asking for. It's also being on, going on customer calls and, or listening to like a recorded call and hearing what the customer has to say and what they're asking for. And if there's any competitive insights there too. So it's, it's taking a lot of the one-on-ones and having those conversations. It's taking team meetings. And it's also listening to uh, customer calls and getting a sense of the organization. So it's, it's one-to-one, -one, it's one-to-many, it's recordings, it's a wide variety of different pieces of information. Right. So casting the net as widely as you can. And it's also talking to out, outside influencers too. Like, so individual like Gartner and Forrester and looking at your competitors and seeing what you can hear from Gartner, what you can hear from or other analysts to, about the competition and also listening to what's what your competitors are saying listening to webinars going to conferences and actually hearing hey this is how our competitors are pitching and this is how we're pitching and what's the difference cool um so if we were to break that down into real practical terms for our listeners then would you be able to summarize the three to five key types of data or key bits of information that you're trying to discover from these kind of initial conversations sure absolutely so the first one is who are your main competitors, right? So every company I say has about three to five main competitors, and that's what I call like tier one competitors. Those are the competitors where, you know, 80% of the time we're competing against them, right? They're always there. They're always there. And that's really, sometimes you have to define that, right? Because if not, you're going to get a lot of different competitors of, Hey, I have this small competitor over here and I have this little regional competitor. You really say, what are the three to five competitors that we're really competing with 80% of the time? And that's like the number one thing you want to define. And you want to make sure that your first year, your focus 
a lot of time on those tier one competitors because those that's how you're gonna get the best focus on that the next is okay who are tier two competitors they're not as important as tier one but they're really important because they have you know maybe a geographical influence so they might be a really big competitor in apac instead of a global competitor uh they might have you know a product focus where it's hey this one of our products is being competed on and so we, this might be a tier two competitor so that's more of a larger group i say around 10 to 20 uh companies and those are the companies where hey you want to keep an eye on them you want to understand who they are you might have a three or four quick dismiss bit points but it's not a full battle guard um and then the next thing is tier three competitors and that's really where you know those are the smaller competitors where you might be able to group them into similar buckets so you might say hey these are cloud competitors these are our you know our ecosystem competitors so we're not going to build you a battle guard for every cloud better but we're going to get we're going to give you an overarching view of hey this is how you compete against them because they're very similar when you're also building is that so when you have that tier one com- competition that's when we want to start building focus groups and building groups that are like kind of SWAT teams around your competitors so say hey like these are the tiger teams those SWAT teams that you know we're going to be in charge of you know competing against this one competitor and so you're going to be SME experts just as long as myself and kind of bring people from sales and PM and marketing all together to talk about this whole competitor. I'm glad you brought that up, by the way, prioritization. So a lot of the, a lot of what we hear from uh, members of the community is that they're performing CI as part of quite a small team with quite limited resources for a team like that, where it might just be two people doing CI, maybe as a, as part of a part-time thing in conjunction with other product marketing responsibilities. Would you say it's most important for them only to focus on those tier one competitors or is it still important to cover the breadth and have those tier two and those tier three competitors as well? So I think, I think, you know, I've done that too, where it's like you're a product marketer and you have like maybe 10 to 20% of your time on CI and you have a ton of other materials. Um, I think it's really important just to make sure you have the tiers. So you understand who, which two in each tier, but then really focus on those tier one competitors, focus on those be make make the most of your 10 or 20 percent of your time on those competitors because that's going to have the biggest impact on the organization and the other thing is like the reason when i started building SWAT teams and tiger teams was because i was a product marketer who only had 10 or 20 percent of my time doing competitive so i couldn't spend all my time doing it so that's when i went out and brought other people within the organization to kind of crowdsource my ci to help have them help me bring ci and help them build materials as well cool cool and um, are there any kind of hidden pitfalls here in the kind of initial stages of talking to people and trying to draw out that information? Because obviously it's very important if you're working with data that that data is accurate. Do you ever worry when you're talking to people that they might unwittingly uh, misreport something or um, pull something through that maybe uh, isn't reflected by other people? Or do you um, rely on those kind of anomalies sorting themselves out just by collecting as much data as you can? So I like to collect as much as I can, but of course I'm always going to be, you know, suspect, right? Because the competitor that the salesperson is being with now is the most important competitor, right? Because that's that's how they make their money, right? And so you need to realize that, hey, you have to look at all the different pieces of data, right? You need to take that human interaction, but you also need to take your CRM data and your other data as well and compare the two and bring all that data together and say, okay, this is the best get, this is the best fit um, scenario for our competition, right? And this is why we're saying this because both in Salesforce and our you know, sales reps are saying these, these other competitors are important. So going back to the process itself, what comes next then? So you've spoken to everyone you want to speak to, you've gotten all that internal data. Um, what do you do with that? Do you standardize it and sort of de-duplicate that data? 
Um, where do you go from there? Yeah, so I mean, let's say you like you have the data and you have the analysis and you find that, hey, these are our competitors and so we're going to do. That's when you start to build a plan, right? You say, okay, these are the competitors we're gonna we're gonna build the foundation for our organization, and these are the competitors we're gonna compete against. And you build that plan, and then you have to evangelize that plan, um, and you have to bring in you know leadership and executives. So talking to people outside the organization, I mean, talking to leadership within the organization, and having those conversations about, hey, this is the plan we're gonna build for CI, and get buy-in. And the reason why you want to get buy-in is so that you have that executive leadership to say, hey, this yep, absolutely this makes one hundred percent. I like this, or hey, Pat, you know, this is really great, but right now the organization needs X, Y, Z. Can you go both into that? Because when you build that plan and you have that analysis, that helps to stop the kind of the scope creep where it's, hey, you know, we're working on these competitors or working on those materials, but then all of a sudden someone says, hey, there's a new competitor, you know, in Vancouver, we need to do analysis on this. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. we're going to focus on these competitors first, and then we'll be able to help you out with that. And so it's really, evangelizing that plan and getting buy in that plan. So then you can take that plan out to the next step. Do you think that can be quite challenging for people who are quite new to CI to go out and talk to all the, especially if they're a new face in the business, for example, yeah. going out and talking to all these people and then trying to get buy in from executives, especially if there might be pushback or maybe a bit of a lack of faith in the, in the efficacy of the program, what advice would you give to someone who was struggling with, with that side of things? Oh, it's extremely hard. Uh, even for someone who's been doing it for you know ten years, it's extremely hard, right? You, you're you're building a plan, right? And you're presenting this plan to people who've been in the company much longer than you, and have that. And I think it's really showing them the proof points. I think a lot of times, if you show them the data and you show them the proof points, and talk about how who you talk to, your head sales reps, you know, your top product management, you know, the CRM dev. When you give them proof points, you give them data, and you say, hey, this is the reason why I'm making this uh, assumption, and this is the reason why we're going to be doing this way. It's a lot different than just, hey, this is Pat's idea. It's, hey, no, this is the company's idea. And I brought it to you and shown that out. And so this, it, when you give them proof points, you give them data points, it makes them say, okay, yeah, this makes sense. It's not just um, some guy in, you know, in the back room building this out. It's, this is actually the company needs. And the other thing is you always have to realize that you're going to get pushback and you're going to get feedback. And that's great. If they don't give you feedback and they're just like, yep, cool, whatever, that, that's a problem. It means they don't really care. But if they're like, hey, this is really great or we need to change this, that's where they, they actually care about it. It's powerful. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Like taking feedback on not as something negative just because it's critical as long as it's constructive criticism, then it's it's helping everybody out, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing about competitive intelligence is they will always give you feedback. Like no matter, everyone loves competitive intelligence and so everyone want, wants to know competitive intelligence so they'll always give you feedback because everyone thinks they can, do, they can do CI and they think they can do it really well. And so you have to kind of say, well, that's really great, but we're going to go this direction because of this XYZ. No, no, no. Um, just rewinding a little bit, those proof points that you mentioned, what kind of data points would you go to first if you wanted to make a strong case for for um, for your own plan? So I look at it, I, I do it a few different ways. So one of the things I say is that this is what internally our sales reps and our SCs and our PMs are saying. And so I actually bring out, you know, hey, I had this conversation with XYZ or, you know, there was a deal that lost because of XYZ or competitor ABC. And I bring those points. And then I also bring kind of the market intelligence too. So I, I'll bring, if I'm talking to a Forrester analyst or Gartner analyst, or I look at Magic Quadrant or Wave, I look at that too and I say, hey, like this is, this is, this is market validation, right? So we have our sales validation, we have market validation. And then I'll bring in the data too. Say, hey, this is within our own company's data, and this is our data validation. So when you have market validation from 
industry experts, when you have your sales uh, validation, and when you have data points that validate, that really kind of gives a really great uh, example of, hey, this is why we're doing it this way. Cool. So mostly win-loss stuff from the sales side, expert analysts on the market side from ex external sources. Absolutely. And that, yeah, that's really where it helps out. So you, you give, it's not just one point, it's multiple points. What is the merging process look like for you then so when you've got all the disparate data and you're bringing it together um is there one particular like a confluence or somewhere like that that you would look to post up that that data for everyone to go to as like a single source of truth or is that something that you wouldn't do that you kind of go through the process of creating whatever that enablement collateral is or so when i build a plan i, I don't I, I really don't like showing the sausage making i, I say hey, like you know there's a lot of raw data ever and, it's, and people are going to instruct it different ways so I say, hey, let's build a PowerPoint. Let's build an actual plan. Let's build this presentation. Um, let's make sure that it's, you know, it's, it's polished and it's ready to go so that when they see it, uh, they can see it very easily. You have to remember when you talk to executives and you talk to leadership, they have a ton of stuff coming at them. They, you know, they have a million things. You have 30 minutes in front of them, right? So you give them, you know, three things. What are the three takeaways you want to see? What you want to get out of this presentation? You know, we're in, we're in it. This is the plan for CI. This is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it. And really, these are three things that you're going to learn in this presentation, right? Because if they remember, if they remember one of them or two of them, it's a win. So that's how I always say: it's like, hey, here's the three things, really quick and easy for them to understand. Okay, okay, I've got you. So it's building your plan and then presenting that back to executives in a way that's like digestible and makes an impact, so that they take away all the most important points. Absolutely, because I mean, they, they're going to go off and do something else, or they're going to go off and make a sale, or go off and work something else, and so. It's gonna be it's gonna be gone for them in a couple couple of days. So they, if they can remember the few things that you pointed out to them, it's gonna be bomb. That's gonna be the biggest bomb. Cool. So once you've got a plan and you're implementing it, and you're a little bit further down the road, what deliverables do you think people should kind of prioritize? Does that go back again to what you said earlier on, which is like who are your stakeholders? You know, is it sales? Is it going to be enablement content? Is it you know leadership? Is it going to be you know competitive briefs and stuff like that? Yeah. So what I always say is. Try to get the quick hits out first. Show validation in the plan. So if you can give, like, if it's sales, right, and that you're building bow card and you're building competitive, bring out on a few, like, hey, here's three quick dismisses, right? Or hey, here's three three kill points on our uh, one of our competitors. Just quickly, so they can see the value in that in that area. And then long term, you know, that's when you build the bow cards, when you build the presentations, when you build those pieces of information that's going to help them out. But if you can, off the bat. Give them very uh, quick hits. That's going to show the value of it. It's going to go a long way in, uh, you know, gaining that trust of the organization. I think that's one big thing with competitive intelligence is that you have to gain the trust of the organization. They have to trust you that what you're saying is powerful and is true because the last thing you want to do is have a sales rep or a PM talk about a competitor and it be wrong because then that, their trust isn't gone too to their customer. So you need that trust, and that's, that's when you can get even in. Get those quick wins, build that trust. As you build out larger battle cards, it's going to be very powerful. And what might those quick wins be for other departments? So with sales, I guess you've got quick dismisses of, you know, the the kind of primary competitors. I guess that would look similar for customer success maybe as well. If you know, they're speaking to a difficult customer and they're saying, hey, you know, this competitor over here is doing this thing really well. Why aren't you doing that? They've kind of got that ammunition too, right? Yeah, quick dismisses, but also maybe customers us is more, hey, here's our strengths too, right? Here's, you know, here's why we're so, uh, you know, our strengths, right? So instead of saying quick dismisses more, hey, like, yeah, that they're doing that because of X, Y, Z, but, you know, they don't have the 
the full analytics breadth that we have, or they don't have, you know, that the multi-cloud, something nature of that nature that we can use as well. And then with PMs, it's more of, uh, I always say it's educating them, right? It's helping them to educate, right? Because as a PM, you're the CEO of your product. And so you know your product very well, um, but educating them on the market, educating them on the competitors, say, hey, you know, or or even tell them, hey, you know, we're, we think that this competitor is going to be building a product like yours because we went in the job descriptions and saw that they're actually hiring for these skills, which means they're probably going to build a competitive product. So helping them to educate on what's coming is huge for product management. Cool. Brilliant. Um, and uh, this is one I quite like asking people. When it comes to getting results, what metrics would you say people should use to measure and demonstrate their success? I think it's a combination, right? I only use like one metric. I think it's a combination. So I think it's sales satisfaction. If you have a satisfaction survey of sales, how happy they are. I think it's um, win loss analysis. So if you have that, if you have the ability to do win loss and see the rates of win loss improvement, I think it's huge. There's other ones too where it's like how many times people have viewed a battle card. Uh, who's viewed a battle card? If you do analysis of like one area, like right now I'm doing an analysis of who's been active in our uh, competitive intelligence platform and of those sales reps who's going to President's Club, and there's actually a really great correlation of the people who are actually very active are the people who are the best sellers in the company. So you can see that as well. So I think there's a lot of different areas that you can use to KPIs, downloadable assets for, you know, battle guards, a lot of different areas where you can say, hey, this is, we're making an impact. Um, and the other thing I've always done is, you know, I'm, I'm pretty keen on actually talking to customers and being a CI person in front of customers. So you can also talk about how much you directly influence revenue too, which is huge. If you can show that you directly influence, you know, millions of dollars in revenue, that's massive for your program. Mm, yeah, sure. I've heard that that's quite difficult. Um, you know, directly tying revenue back to your own work in, in the CI program. Is that just a data tracking issue? Like people are maybe not tracking the right data or tracking their own input through you know, a CRM uh, form, for example, where, you know, a sales rep logging that, okay, I use this asset here and then you can attribute it back to the work you've done. It's very hard. It's extremely hard. And, you know, I think one of the things is data quality in every CRM, right? So I think the problem is looking at the data assets, but what I look for directly at influences anytime my team or uh, myself is either on a customer call or builds a, you know, custom analysis or helps out with a deal. And that deals a win, then we directly influence that win, right? We did, we helped out with that. Um, and then there's indirect influence where you can see, okay, you know, this individual download a battle guard at this time during this win. We can kind of show that too as well. But it's extremely hard. And a lot of times it's actually very manual of us tracking who we're actually working with and how we're competing. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, in the midst of speaking to stakeholders and, and learning all about competitors, um, how does a practitioner keep things focused on the customer? Um, is that something you think is important rather than kind of becoming obsessed with competitors and being like entirely absorbed in what they're doing and losing sight of what the market actually wants? Or do you think that, um, that's actually not really a problem that, that manifests much? I, no, I actually agree with you 100%. I think you need to focus on customers, right? I always say I'm customer, I'm, um, customer obsessed, but competitively aware. So, I mean, I think you have to be obsessed about customers. You need to understand what the customer needs and why they need it and get that feedback from sales and from customer success and PM because that drives your competitive influence, right? If the customer needs X, Y, Z, then you can show through your strengths and your differentiation that you're the best at that. Um, and so I always talk about, you know, 
competing on our strengths instead of like dismissing the competition, right? So compete on your strengths and finding where your strengths are in the market and then using that to differentiate against competition. Um, because a lot of people, they don't really love hearing like, oh, you know, our competitor stings, you know, they're not that great. They'd rather hear, why are you gonna help me? How are you gonna help solve my problem? And if you're gonna do that and you can show that differentiation, in the meantime, when you're showing that, you know that competitor X and Y can't do that. It gives a lot more value to the customer. This is why we wanna purchase your software product versus the competitor. Right, right. And in terms of getting that feedback from the customers, um, is that is that um, customer interviews? Is it you said yourself that you quite like talking to customers um, over the phone and, and, and getting in touch with them directly? Is that kind of the only form it takes for you? Do you well presumably you also pull from customer success and customer support? So customer support, customer success, uh, doing win loss interviews, uh, both with customers and with sales reps to see how they they differ. Um, talking to analysts. Also, I'm a big individual. You know, I know it sounds crazy, but I like to actually go to conferences and get in the booth and talk to prospects, right? Because it's a really way of evaluating my pitch and having conversations and having conversations like, hey, what do you use for, you know, your data security? And they talk about X, Y, Z. I'm like, oh, how do you like them? Oh, I like them here, but I, I don't like this. And so you kind of get some insights into actually talking with, you know, prospects and customers too. So I like to actually get out in the field and get in the booths, at, you know, conferences and have conversations with a prospect and see what they what insights they like and what where they fall off. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you mentioned uh, win-loss earlier. Um, I know that win-loss can be a really, really substantial part of any competitive program. Um, it really gives you direct feedback from customers themselves on what you're doing well, what you're not doing well. It can help you impact revenue um, more efficiently and help sales team more. What does the win-loss program look like for you or how do you approach win-loss? So win-loss is like the gold standard for web intelligence. It's the best, right? Because it's straight from the customer's mouth. And so I look at win-loss as a way of, you know, how I can do this. So we kind of do two different versions of win-loss. We do win-loss with the customer. So having that conversations with the customer, uh, we use a third party um, to do that, uh, double check research and they're great. And so we use them to help, help out with that. Um, and we do that through, you know, analysis. But we also do internal as well. So we actually interview sales reps as well. And it's a really great way of kind of inter interacting between the two. And the reason why is, you know, interviewing sales reps um, is really great because it's it, it's good because you can get to hear kind of what they think and what they realize for the analysis. And then when you hear the customers too, it's really interesting to hear what they say. And so then taking those two data points and bringing it together to understand what's actually happening and how we can differentiate is huge. And so it's, it's a really great thing. I think everyone should try win-loss if you can. It, the other thing though, it's very difficult. It's an extremely difficult way of doing it, right? It's one of the hardest things to do in combat intelligence because you have to get a customer on the phone to talk to you about why they chose your product or even, even more, which they don't. They don't. They chose why they didn't choose your product. And that's a really hard one. Not many people are like, yeah, I'm going to get on a phone call and tell you why uh, you weren't good or why your competitor was better. Yeah, um, I've heard that, you know, you mentioned they use a, a third-party service um, to, to help out with your win-loss. I've heard that that's the best way to do it because, because of what you said, like... Um, customer's going to be more comfortable kind of potentially saying something that, you know, might, might be less comfortable, um, for someone who's, who's worked on the product itself, yeah. they feel, feel more comfortable speaking to a third party about it. So absolutely. I think third party is great. And I think it's, the reason why is because, you know, they're experts in there right? and they are more, it's not talking to Pat Wally, a better individual. They're talking to another third party who's saying, Hey, we're hired on behalf of this company. Right. And so anything you tell us is not going to go directly to them. Right. 
because companies, no matter what, no matter what time you do, they always think you're trying to sell them. Sometimes they always think it's like, hey, if I'm talking to this you know person, that's going to get back to my sales rep, it's going to get back to this. So I think that's another reason why it's really easy for a third party to actually do the one loss because they get they get much more of a barrier between the company. Right. Do you find that your response rates are better as well? For a third party reason, for a third party, absolutely, hundred percent, hundred percent better. It's like ten times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that that's that that's going to be super helpful too, obviously, because um, you know, we do a lot of um primary research ourselves, obviously, um, and uh, and response rates are super important. And if you don't have the data, then then the conclusions that you draw aren't, aren't going to be worth very much. So, absolutely, I think primary research is another really great place for competitive intelligence to actually hire primary research firms. Is not a great place to do because they can do so much more um, as a company, um, and they can be another extension of your team to help you with the analysis and understanding of betters. It's huge. Cool, cool. Uh, changing tack a little bit. Um, I know you've got a real deep background in tech and in data. AI is absolutely everywhere right now. How much of a role do you see AI play in CI in the future? I think it's going to be huge, and I'm, I'm excited for it. Everyone's going to know AI is going to do your jobs from CI. I don't think so. I think AI is going to help enhance our jobs, like ChatGPT and everything else. I think it's going to enhance our jobs because, as a competitive person, as a competitive team, you're only as good as the intelligence you get. Right? You're only really as good as the intelligence you get. And I think AI is going to be extremely influential because it's going to help us get more intelligence. It's going to help get us more intel and more information, and maybe it's even more information is going to give us that we can then help to solve into actual intelligence. And so the more information we get and the more clear and easier it is to get the information, then it's going to help our job as competitive intelligence experts to then take that information, distill it, and give it very quickly to uh, sales reps and product managers and product marketing on the fly. And so I think it's going to be really powerful for us to actually take AI, leverage it, and understand our competition even more. Do you have any practical use cases, ways that you use it right now that you'd be willing to share? Sure. I mean, so we use AI in some of our learning tools uh, where we actually have, you know, they give us AI analysis and they, these are things where, you know, you might want to actually flag or understand and do that as well. Um, also within Jet, ChatGPT, I use it too. I, I ask ChatGPT all the time, hey, how is this going to help with this better? Or can you help me with this, you know, analysis or what's an easier way to say this? It's great influencer, right? It helps you out. I think it's going to get more and more. Right? I think this is just the start of how AI is going to help competitive intelligence. I'm really excited for it. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Pat, that brings me to the end of my questions. Thanks so much for talking to us today. Where can people find more from you? Yeah, I just I'll reach out on LinkedIn. Pat Wall at LinkedIn uh, is really great. And uh, happy to help anyone. Also in the uh, the PMA and CIA uh, competitive Slack. So if you, wanna, if you have any questions there, reach out as well. Cool. Thanks so much, Pat. Thanks again to Patrick Wall for joining us. And as always, a huge thank you to you as well for listening. If you'd like to find more from Patrick, you can reach out to him on LinkedIn. In the meantime, make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts to hear more and head to competitiveintelligencealliance.io for networking opportunities, articles, industry reports, playbooks, certifications, and a whole lot more besides.